Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you here on a Thursday night. Big day in baseball here, so we got a lot of news to unpack. But first, we have a loyal listener live who's chewing on his water bottle as he sits because there's no mom home in the house tonight. So it's just me. So he's got to stay right by my side. So we have Brady listen to us live chewing on a water bottle. Doesn't understand when I try to take it away that it's because I'm just trying to to record a podcast without cringling in the background. So for anybody listening and can hear that, I apologize in advance. He just wants to hang out. He'll be all right. Hey, he'll everyone, be all right. Everyone, everyone will be all right with a little water bottle. Yeah, I mean, he, he just wants to tune into the pod. There's nothing wrong with that. But as I mentioned, it's a huge day in baseball, quite frankly. So we're going to get into it. No small talk. Uh, Dan and I were already catching up off air. But it is the return of El Nino. Fernando Tatis, Fernando Mania is back across baseball tonight as the San Diego Padres are trying to get out of what a lot of people would deem an, an unideal start to the season but Fernando Tatis threw eight games in AAA he hit 515 with a 1.802 OPS seven home runs and two steals Dan is that good I mean and what did he do like his I think he went like 10 for his last 11 with like four of those homers too like yeah I yeah he was ready I think he was ready <laughs> yeah and he like he seems to have a little bit of a you know, like I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I would guess like you guys forgot about me. Mentality is what I would imagine. He's probably, you know, ready to go in and and they're playing at Arizona. So he's going to get an opportunity to have some, some villainized fans that are not going to be big fans of his and, and booing them. So I don't know. He he's, he's definitely dialed in to say the least. 
Yeah, and I think that with a guy like him who lacks no confidence, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't lack in confidence and um, he kind of understands the perception of himself now. And I think a guy like that definitely walks around with a chip on his shoulder now. And, and I think that he's itching at the opportunity to get back on the field. Obviously, last year was just an utter disaster for him. Um, and so he's ready to kind of, I mean, the last time we saw this guy, everybody was talking about the face of baseball. He was the most electrifying player. And then last year happens. And I think it's left a bad taste in everyone's mouth because there's nothing more that fans like to do than sit on their high horse when we judge athletes. True. 100%. And, and we forget a lot of times that these guys are, you know, have a lot of pressure. Really, I think it's nobody feels sorry for you because you have a lot of pressure, but there's a lot of pressure to succeed, especially when you're the face of baseball. But I think the the biggest thing that I had forgotten was just how cool this dude is, like in, in all reality, because he does his little shimmy around third base. And I'm just like, dude, he looks so good when he does it. And, you know. <laughs> Kind of want to get into, you know, the the first thing that came to my mind as I was kind of diving in for our stats and research for this episode was, have we forgotten how good Fernando Tatis was? I mean, in 2021, in 130 games played, remember, I know we still had the bouncy balls, but in 130 games played, he hit 42 home runs, had 25 bags before stolen bases were cool. He was hitting 282, 364, 611 slug with a 975 OPS. He almost won the MVP that year playing in 130 games. Yeah, and and um, you're absolutely right. People forgot, I think, is the best way to put it. Uh, we live in, however you want to phrase it, we live in a what have you done for me lately society. We live in a microwave society, social media age, where everything is is quick and instantaneous and, and we move on from one thing to the next um, in the blink of an eye as a society. So yeah, absolutely. There's just like this perfect storm of things that have happened to Fernando Tatis between that's everyone's mindset. We haven't seen this guy play baseball in two years, right? So it's like, yes, everyone's forgotten. Everyone, you know, knows who he is, knows the name, knows he's good. But then, you know, like I said, we like to judge and not even so much for the steroid thing, but the like, you were on a motorcycle and got hurt and missed the rest of the season. You know, every guy who sits at home and if I had the opportunity, I'd be perfect. Um, is going to sit there and be like, why would you ever, you know, put your career in jeopardy by getting on the motorcycle. Just don't get on the motor, you know, like stupid stuff like that, that I think left a bad taste in fans mouths. And then you pile on top of that, the steroid thing, which again, that's everyone's favorite high horse to ride. And, and so, yeah, between those two, you know, between those events happening um, and those, you know, it's a perfect storm of like, we don't remember how good this guy is. He's unbelievable. And you talk about how cool he is. Like there's confident, and every professional athlete to play at that level has a certain level of confidence about them, right? Yeah. That's how they get to that level. Every every college athlete has that level. But then there are guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. who have like otherworldly confidence. You think of Bryce Harper, you think of Mike Trout, you think of Fernando Tatis, you think of Juan Soto. Like the confidence that those guys have and exude off of them that everything they do looks cool. The sunglasses, right? Everybody in the world wears those sunglasses. You go to a college game and every reliever's 
chewing seeds, wearing those sunglasses. Because of him, every guy on the big league field is wearing those sunglasses because of him. So I think that, you know, he's just this, he's become a superstar so quickly because again, with microwave societies, we also microwave our superstars real quick. You go from a nobody to a superstar like that overnight. And, and I, I'm excited to see him play again. And I think the Padres as a whole are excited to get that back in their lineup. Cause like you said, they're not off to the start that they had imagined when they cooked up this roster. That's for sure. No, definitely not. And, and to kind of go into what Fernando Tatis was, I'm, I notoriously try to stay present to the, you know, time where we've remembered them and, in their highest, right? A lot of times we get so caught off in what, like you said, what have you done for me lately? It's like, well, just a reminder what this guy was, right? When guys through go through the ups and downs of whether it be just baseball, statistically speaking, or the ups and downs of like perception from the public in terms of your off the field shenanigans, like Fernando Tatis was tied up in, I'm the one who's going to lean more towards like, hey, don't forget about what this guy was, right? And we're talking about the Ronald Acuna's, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s, Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman. He was the top of them, right? The like top. he was he was the top because why would you take him over Juan Soto? Well, he steals 25 bags. Why would you take him over Ronald Acuna? Well, because he's consistent, right? You're not going to get the high highs and the low lows. He was just raking every single day. And he was just, and oh, he plays shortstop too. Now he's obviously not going to play shortstop for them, but that's what he was. He was this big personality that was quite frankly, arguably the most talented and the most well-known and the most impactful face of baseball, right? Like you talk about like kids that were, you mentioned the sunglasses, kids doing the little oop around third base when they hit a pump, right? Like that means you're a big deal, right? And I did worry to a certain extent at times last year of we have seen this specifically with Cody Bellinger, guys who dislocate their shoulder struggle um, to regain their form. It takes them a while, whether it be, you know, shoulder dislocations are very impactful, whether they happen again, whether they become chronic, but they completely change your shoulder's anatomy, quite frankly. So I worried about that. And then he goes out in AAA and it's just like, nah, like I'm different. I'm different. And for, I get the ball in the PCL flies. I get he's better than AAA. There's a reason he's in the MLB and he's a superstar. But we see guys on rehab assignments. I mean, Bryce Harper last year on his rehab assignment didn't exactly light the world on fire. He had his knocks and then he had his lumps because he was coming off of playing baseball. You have a guy like Fernando Tatis going into a AAA season and just clobbering baseballs and just showing that he is the dynamic superstar that we all thought he was. And it's going to be a big deal. And I think that's where my next question goes is we look at this roster. Is this roster only missing Fernando Tatis swagger, Fernando Tatis talent, Fernando Tatis is get on my back. I'm going to take us to the, to the promised land. Is that what this team needs to get back on the tracks? I know they have a bunch of alphas there, but even though Juan Soto is probably the best hitter in baseball, Tatis is the alpha of all alphas. 
Yeah, no, I think that to get them back on track, yeah, I think a piece like Tatis coming back in and, and letting them be settled, and if he can continue anything close to what he was doing in AAA, just the kind of boost that 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 gives your, your team, the confidence that, you know, again, he exudes it. Everyone else starts to feel better about their game because he's going to be out there doing his thing every night. And fortunately for the Padres, sure, they haven't gotten off to a great start, but they're playing in a division where the Dodgers haven't gotten off to a great start either. So they're they're by no means like this thing is wide open and it's going to stay that way for a while. So they are, they're not in trouble at all. And and Machado was very aggressive about it in the way he said Mm -hmm. it, but he was spot on the other day when he was like, look, no, we didn't start the way we are, but we're going to be better. And, you know, don't hop on the bandwagon is basically what he said when we do get there. And they are, is he, are they a Tatis away from being like, to me, legitimate world series, contenders no I don't trust their pitching staff and they have injuries on their pitching staff I didn't trust their pitching staff going into the year they haven't done anything to make me believe that that's going to be better but as far as like where they sit in the division and getting the regular season back on on track yeah they're a Tatis away when you look at what the Dodgers have done and I look I love that what the Diamondbacks are doing they finally DFA'd Bumgarner today which is a long time coming like they're young they're exciting they're playing a fun brand of baseball they're a year early. They don't have the staying power yet. So like, yes, it's a good story. And sure, they could push for a wild card spot. They could push these other teams and, and put them in sticky situations as we get, you know, further down the line. But this thing's open and like no one's taking a stranglehold. It's not like you have some other divisions where, you know, if you're a Red Sox fan, it's over. Like the way the Rays are playing, like, I'm sorry. Like, how are you going to run down the Rays with the issues that your team has? injuries and all like you're not running down the race you know what I mean? there are divisions like that right now where there are teams that are just playing so well that this early that like it's almost insurmountable i mean look at the nl east the nl east is already looking like a two-team race because the braves and the mets don't lose very often so i think that f- from that standpoint they are tatis away yeah and and even to me i sit there and i think and i just whether it be the hitting coaches the group as a whole how much easier it is to sit there when you struggle and just be like, oh, we, we got shut out today, but like, wait till Fernando gets here. It's not like you're waiting until May. It's not like he's no. injured and you know you can't get him back. You know when you're one weekend away, when you're a turn around the corner away from Fernando Tatis kicking that clubhouse door open and leading off in front of Juan Soto. Right. Yeah, it's right. easy. Oh, yeah, we're sleepwalking right now because we know what we have coming into the clubhouse in a week, right? At midway point last year. Same thing when Manny Machado says that. You know why he can exude so much confidence when he says that? Because his dude, his boy is coming into that locker room and he knows you're literally pairing two of the top three hitters in baseball in one lineup. Right in 2021, if you told somebody that Fernando Tatis was going to hit one and Juan Soto was going to hit two, you would say that is the best lineup, best one-two pairing we will ever see. <laughs> like you're like two surefire, stay healthy, play 15 years, Hall of Famers. Like they're going to hit one-two together in 2023. Imagine that, right? And not to mention the fact that Fernando's what 23, 24. Yeah, he's still I mean, so he's a young. Baby. He's literally a baby. Like the um, like I'm getting so giddy about the idea of like what Fernando Tatis is because he's back. 
right? There were points last year where I was like, ah, is he as good as we think? I pulled up his numbers from, from when he was playing and I was like, this dude is elite and you pencil him in the one hole and that makes you get to, you means you get to bump Jake Cronenworth down a couple of spots. That means you give Juan Soto elite of the elite, get on in front of me and let me go to work rather than having first base open. You don't have to put Trent Grisham in the one hole. No, your, your leadoff hitter is there every day. He's posting. He's going to provide you MVP level talent. He can steal second base. He can hit a homer. And then Juan Soto is going to step to the plate and he can hit a homer. And then Manny Machado is going to step to the plate and he can hit a Like now that lineup is just it's different. Like I know one guy doesn't make that much of a difference, but a guy of the caliber of Fernando Tatis does. Right. And I really do think that changes the lineup. And I really, it brings me to think of how is this going to impact Juan Soto, right? We're starting to get in the land of this is becoming a pretty darn large sample size for him, right? Struggles last year. It's 242. He comes out of the gate slow with Washington, the trade rumors, everybody's like, oh, this guy's going to open up when he gets into San Diego, right? He's going to open up because the stress of the extension, the stress of the trade, everything was hanging over his head. Well, he struggled again. He talked about it a little bit. He felt like he needed the clarity and the closure of DC fans to cheer for him. He said that standing ovation in DC that he got at the end of last year was huge for him. And obviously it was, but we're looking at a guy who's now hitting 175 this year. Yeah, he still has a 366 OBP with a 731 OPS. Like, sure, go hit a go hit 175 and still be above league, league average. But I gotta think that this is a guy that really is going to be helped from the Fernando Chatis edition. Yeah, the Soto thing's interesting to look at. Um and I'm interested in your kind of perspective on this because we haven't we haven't talked about him in a long time. And like you look at his numbers, and like it's hard to continuously talk about bad luck when you're not producing, but it still feels like it's bad luck. And you're like a two week stretch away from Juan Soto being back to being the best hitter in the world, right? Like that's what I'm like. Yeah, he's hitting 175, but I'm still like, yeah, but but. But I mean, his expected batting averages of 100 points higher, his expected slug is like one of the best in the league. So you're just like, well, when is it like, how does that happen? Because a lot of times we talk about like, you know, good processes, you know, good success, you know, usually follows good process. And it's like his process still seems good. So like, what is it? Is it really just like this much bad luck for going on? You know, we're through a full season now of it. Like, when, how do you explain it? I guess, like, is it something, could it be a physical thing? Could it be a, because it doesn't look like that. That's why it's so hard to say. Like, sometimes you're like, okay, well, you know, when you, when you saw Bellinger just fall off the face of the earth, right. You, you could clearly like, you could start at the shoulder separation in the work, in the NLCS uh, that happened. And then you can just follow it along the lines of like, okay, mechanically he's out of, he's out of sync. He never looked the same swing in the bat. You could visually be like, there's physically yeah. something wrong with him. Mechanics are all over and you could see who was feeling for it. It doesn't feel like that with Soto. I think for Soto, it's more mental, right? Yeah. Like I think it is definitely something that um, just mentally, like the struggles and the pressure and then the trade. And I mean, he's still, he talk about Tatis being a baby, like Soto's still, still a baby. Yeah, and like sure. being literally the, the largest trade in MLB history. Like we're talking about the, most well-known in the game today, the most impactful and young player to ever be moved, 
right? until this trade deadline when Shohei Otani gets traded. But even then, like a, an asset that's 22 years old, I'm saying. Sure, at but the, I just think with Otani, you're getting three, a three-hole like, hitter. You're talking about the, six years before their prime for two right. and a half years of control. Oh, Shohei is a half year of control for a 28-year-old, and he's great. Like He's, he's the, an he's, ace and a, and a, and a three-hole hitter, though. That's the difference. Right. Like, no, I get that, but one. it's a half year compared to a 22-year-old sure. who you could still dream. I mean, like Juan Soto's only realistic projections from fan graphs are Ted Williams. It's right. like – like in going into 2020 and going into 2021, Fangraphs blurts out their player comps for all their all players across the, uh, across baseball, and it's like, well, what's Juan Soto's? Well, his highest probable comparison is Ted Williams, the Ted Williams, the I hit close to 400 Ted Williams. Like that's the only comparison that we have for Juan Soto. So to get that that asset at such a young age is just unfathomable. So he's going through that, but I mean. Could he be really? regressing to the mean too, though? Like, could that be the other thing of this? No, I don't think so because you look at his career stats. He's actually performed under his expected stats his whole career. He's never been above his expected stats. You're talking about a guy right now who's rocking a 186 batting average on balls in play with a 91st percent, right. a 54.3% hard hit rate. That's like, what makes it so weird. That's just, it's just not. I think we're getting caught up in the combination of last year and this small sample size. Right. I think we need to cut it off at this year, this look at year. what this year is, and just say it's been unlucky. I think last year was a fluke. I think he got pitched around. I think there were other factors that go to, went into it. I think this year is just like 186 BABIP for like for a guy who puts – I wasn't going to call out anybody's name. I started to slip up there. But for a guy who puts the ball in at 85 miles per hour is low. Right. So like would you even agree, pitchers that's low. right. Wouldn't you agree that so you agree with what I said then that it's like we're two weeks stretch away here from like oh, we're gonna right. blink in June and he is going to be lighting the world on fire. It's just the fact that we haven't seen it yet seen combined it. with right. what happened. And we haven't really seen it in the Padres uniform. Like I think that's part you know, of it too for the people, right? The perception. He did, but like the perception of like, okay, since he's really been in this lineup every day, like he hasn't been the Juan Soto remember in that Nationals lineup, and I think that plays yeah. a little bit of a part into it too. But oh, definitely, I'm a, I think I like I fully agree with you where like it's like this is still Juan Soto. Like, yes, this isn't like a and like you said, like he's 22. This isn't a guy who who's 31 now and just got traded and he was playing at that level and like so you're like okay, well he's in his 30s sometimes. Players, you know, take a dip. Like, no, this guy. Grass, like, yeah. I, the best side of his career is still in front of him. Mm-hmm. Unless something crazy happens, something that we really haven't seen before. Like, the best part of this dude's career is in front of him. 100%. I think that we're, like I said, I, I really do think, like, not that I think he struggles being the face of a franchise. I don't think that that's it. But I think Fernando Tatis taking yeah. the weight and the attention off of his struggles, right? Because when you talk about the Padres last year, what was it? Man, if Soto could ever figure it out. Right, because Machado was playing out, so well. Because yeah. Machado was playing well. Now you bring in a guy who's going to be – the camera's going to be in his face every single minute of every single day. It's not going to be in Soto's face, and he's just going to sneakily – one knock's going to fall, one knock's going to fall, one knock's going to fall. We're going to turn – you know, quite frankly, he's walk probably four in, times in a game. Probably yeah. into the turn of May, I'd bet he's hitting two fifty already. Like he's six knocks away from hitting two fifty. Right. That's how early we are in the season. And then you're talking about a guy who probably by the by 
the all-star breaks 300 plus with 20 with pushing 20 home runs at the midway point. And, 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 and I think, and you have Bogarts too, right? Like yeah. that, mm-hmm. that also ha- like Bogarts is a veteran presence who's doing his job. And then you add T- Tatis back and if Machado yeah. starts to heat, like, yeah, I wouldn't worry if I was a Padres fan, like their worries need to come. It needs to be focused on their pitching staff and not until we get into September. Yeah, and let's talk about yeah, let's talk about the whole team uh kind of all together and bunch them all together. So obviously they're sitting at nine and eleven entering tonight. And, you know, Xander, quite frankly, has been worth the money. You know, he's hitting three forty seven with four home runs and a nine seventy eight OPS again, small sample size, but that's exactly what you want to see from the guy that you're paying big money from. Nelson Cruz, you brought him in just to hit against lefties. Well, he's he's turning the clock back again. Tell me if you've heard that before. Right. And he's hitting two ninety five with an 819 OPS. Then you factor in the fact that Matt Carpenter's the opposite side of that platoon. I like the way that that unfolds. They might be older, but you get those guys to platoon in a DH and you get some veterans that know how to hit against the opposite hand. That's pretty. Manny is a little worrisome for me, um, just in general. I mean, 240 with a 595 OPS. One of the main reasons he's worrisome for me is because he has had a tendency the last couple of years to outperform his batted ball profiles. So is it the age thing that you're talking about right there? If you told me a guy post 30 started to take a turn like a, you know, and just starts to deteriorate a little bit like, yeah, kind of, I could see it. So, you know, I'd like to see him get back to showing at least the doubles power that he has. Cronenworth is a guy who they need. Quite frankly, they need him to be really good, and he has looked better this year. He already has three home runs on the year, which is a big step forward. He's a guy with great bat-to-ball skills. He's got a 209 isolated power, but he's only hitting 210. Now, the kicker there is his expected batting average is 294, so almost about a 100-point difference between that. So if you're giving me Jake Cronenworth with 300 batting average and some power, that's a guy you want, and that's a valuable first baseman. And then the last guy is obviously Grisham, who's kind of in the similar boat, but he's finding his power stroke similar to how he did last year with four home runs so far. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so hard when you're you know you're talking about a three week sample size because there's going to be a three week stretch in June where they go seven and nine, and or in July or in August, and you're not even going to blink. Right. Yeah, yeah, they haven't been playing as well and some of these guys aren't as hitting as well. But when it's that's the only three weeks you have to look look at, we magnify everything. Of and course. that's understandable. Um and again, just what's happening around the division, like with the Dodgers specifically, has like really should cool the temperatures in there. Because it's like guys, like we're not we're not buried. We're nowhere near out of it. We're fine. And they're gonna continue to play better. Again, my worries are with the pitching staff. You look at their pitchers, right? Darvish is Darvish. I think that's going to continue to get worse after this year. I don't think it's there, but I'm not sold on really anyone else until Musgrove gets back, right? Seth Lugo has been good. He's got a 270 RA, but his expected's over a four. You look at some of the peripherals and what does he do? Like you look at a positive for him. Yeah, he spins the ball well. He always has. He has really good curveball, but he doesn't get the swing and misses as a starter as he does as a reliever. He finds barrels, a little, you know, he still finds barrel. He's about league average, K percentage league average, like, so he's still not great. You know, he's in he's below league average and hard hit percentage. Like, I don't believe in that. Michael Waka is not the 2013 Michael Waka that he once was. We know that. You can't get much. Nick Martinez, again, the starter, he threw a great game yesterday, but he's struggled. Blake Snell has struggled. There's a lot of question marks for me towards Blake Snell. There's a lot of question marks for me towards Nick Martinez becoming a starter. That's where the concern should be. 
And that's the only thing. But like with the offense, they're about to roll out there with Tatis and we expect Soto to get better and Cronenworth is playing well. And I think Machado is going to get warmed up a little bit. And again, like it's crazy to say this, but like if you have Tatis, Soto and Bogarts, you don't, you don't need, need Manny Machado. Machado to be an MVP. You need Manny Machado to be exactly who I think he is and he's going to be this year. And so like they're going to be fine and they're going to push for that division. It's just, you know, like if Corbin Burns gets healthy and becomes available, like that's a good landing spot right there. You know, yeah. If they can even swing that, who knows? Dream they're going to do everything they can, right? They clearly are. Yeah, like, they do not care. 100%. They anything that's left will they'll they'll run me and you out there in the minors if they have to if they can get yeah. Corbin's burns. You know, after trade, they don't care. Um, but that's so. So for me, the concern is on the mound, the offense. I have zero con- Like again, I have zero concerns about this offense or this lineup. They're going to click. And and when you're looking at a three week sample, it's easy to overreact. But again, take a three-week Snapchat snapshot in, in in August and tell me what you know. Tell me if you would worry then if they're twenty games over and then they go seven and nine. Yeah, I think I think the concerns with the pitching staff are very real. I think Joe Musgrove is a guy that they need. We huge. saw it in the playoffs last year. He obviously had that huge start against the New York Mets in Queens. That was a big deal. That was a good job by him. And and obviously he's a guy that really is their ace. I think. It, he has pitched like an ace since he came over from Pittsburgh. He is their ace. I don't know if I'd say he's a true number one, but he has definitely been their most valuable starter. And he has shown flashes of like, just quite frankly, dominating. He has a really good fastball. He has really good stuff. They locked him up for the long term. Blake Snell, again, we've said this on the preview. We've said it before. He is the guy they need. And whether it's a maturity issue or what, I don't know. But like, if he could pitch to a two, we don't even need you to be Cy Young, Blake Snow. We need you to be what you Darvish is. Go out, post for us, give us a 3-4 ERA for the whole year. Like If you told me Darvish finishes the year with a 3.44 ERA the way he has now, 100%. That's Without what a doubt. I expect from you, Darvish. Like, and I'd Without be a doubt about it. Blake Snow, if you told me he pitched to a 2.2, I'd be like, ooh, he figured it yeah, out. If you told me he pitched to an – no, but you could see it. There's a path right. there. If he pitched to an 8.75, you'd be like, there's a path there, right? Like he needs to be more consistent. In the Lugo situation, I find that very interesting because I thought the stuff looked really good on Sunday Night Baseball against the Braves. He's striking out a batter per inning. I think as he gets to know himself more going two, three two or three times through the order. I think his stuff is going to play as a starter. I don't see a, I don't see, there's no downtick in movements. There's no downtick in velocities. There's no, there's nothing that's shown that he can't translate what he was doing in a one inning stint into a four or five. We don't need you to be six or seven. We need you to get through the lineup two times because our other guys are going to do it. Here's my concern with Lugo. It's a lot similar to my concern with Snell in that they don't get enough – they have good stuff. Like, that curveball is elite. Snell has really good stuff. They don't throw enough strikes and get enough swings and misses in this zone for me to believe in in any, you know, being able to withstand that that success, especially Snell. Like, Lugo probably throws a, couple, a little bit more strikes, and I just don't know if the fastball is good enough. For me, Snell, that's the biggest thing. Like, Snell stuff's electric. What's Blake Snell's issue? You look up in the fourth inning and he's thrown 84 pitches. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he's walked two guys and then he, he gets in the zone and he doesn't generate enough swings and misses in the zone. Now, 
he also is that guy where some starts what made him a Cy Young is some days he does. And when he when he yeah. was Cy Young caliber, that's what he was doing. Year. He was yeah, he was pounding the zone and he was getting swings and misses in the strike zone and commanding the fastball glove side. Because for him, like that's it. That's the ticket. Because he's got a limited arsenal, like if Blake Snell is pin if he had Jacob deGrom control to the glove side, his slider I wouldn't care how often he ever threw it in the zone. But he doesn't do that. So guys can get off that thing because they can they can a lot of times spit on the fastballs in. And that's where my concern is. And that's kind of what I worry about a little bit with Lugo too. Now you're right. Like you could feasibly see that. And, and we're talking about a fifth starter. So him pitching to a 409, you're happy with every fifth yeah. day. You go out there, you're healthy every fifth day. You pitch to a 409, which is what his expected ERA is right now. Look, there's 29 other teams in the league that would take that. Will he be able to do it? I don't know. I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I think he's a league average strike thrower. He's a league average walk guy. He's a league average barrel guy. Right, and exactly. Start, You're just like, eh. but but yeah. as a five, I mean, we're talking about sure we're talking about as this a five, last it's fine, but- of paying Taiwan Walker to show up every day, big money. It's like you could pay Seth Lugo to do the same exact thing. That would be great, but my issue with San Diego's rotation, you know, I think what comes into it is like, okay, but then who's the three? Who's the four? Yeah, Seth, you got you got four, you got three fives. You got Darvish and Musgrove, who we're fine with at the top of our rotation, and then you have. Three to four fives that can that you can. Well, run I out think there Blake after. Snell's supposed to be that. Supposed guy. to That's be right, but how often have we we've seen that? I feel like this might be harsh, but I've seen it one year in his career. No, you have seen it one year. And trust me, I am the the opposite of a Blake Snell defender because I am a Kevin Cash defender, and quite frankly, right. when you know the way he handled the being pulled and everything like that was like just turned me off to him, and it was just like, why would you? You know, go tr- like there's a reason they got rid of them and they keep humming. You know, they are they are still the best organization in baseball in Tampa Bay, and Blake Snell isn't a part of it. And I think there's a reason for that. But you know, it's obviously something that they got to get situated, and and they don't have the prospects that are going to come up and and make a difference. So yeah, I mean, the pitching they got to find a guy that's going to come out and and really give them some value on the mountain whether it be as a three whether it be a true ace it'd be nice to see apparently they're going to make a big push for otani they they got they must uh, there's they, no shot there's no must, shot i'm have, sorry they must have live money coming in or something well the, of, wow the, the money i out. are you talking about after this year or at the deadline both at the deadline like what i mean i feel like the, there's 25 other teams that could outbid. Now, 25 other teams won't be in on him, but they'll get outbid for him. I mean, I, they're, they're going to package Solace up, and if the Angels are dumb enough to take a 16-year-old catcher for Otani, I'd be shocked. We, we don't need it. We're gonna no, we don't. We're we'll do that at the deadline. We'll do this at the deadline. Yes, but because it's better to get something than nothing is all I'll say about that. Is And Ethan Salas might be the best you can get. Disagree. Just I'm like just in general. I'm just saying like <laughs> when you're trading a guy like wise. Shohei Otani, sure. But when you're trading a guy like Shohei Otani, Ethan Salas isn't going to be the best player you can get when you pick up the phones and call the other. No, I know. Guys. I'm just saying with in in a package of like 
you have to get something for him. It's the same dilemma that we said with like the Washington Nationals, you're going to lose this trade. Like you're going to lose this trade. Nobody ever wins that side of the trade of trading the superstar for like, there's no package. We can get into this later because I think, yeah, you're not going to get value to value. I understand that. But my point, Couple things. One, the you're Nationals- just picking out Ethan Salas, and I was just saying in general, you're going to have to x something. That yeah, but I also think that I'm not saying Ethan Salas is the best you're going to get. I also think that the definition of winning a trade for the it depends on where you're sitting too. I think the Nationals, if James Wood and and even a, a Yarlene Susanna turn out great, then they started the rebuild. No, yeah, it was, no. I so they did. They, then you do win. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're never going to see value to value. You're never going to get Juan Soto back for senses. Juan Soto. That's a hundred percent right. But in the sense of like where we're at as an organization, we can't hold on to them. We, like you said, you can't get nothing back. So then, yeah. if you if you get two guys that come up and and like like that, and even maybe eight, Mackenzie Gore's had a really good start to the year. Like. Maybe the Nationals no, look back in a couple of years and they're like, "Oh shoot! Like we got four core players here. You did win that trade." Yeah, I just think I'm saying more historical perspective, especially if some whoever trades for Otani locks him up. Like, then you like it's like the Mookie Betts situation. Like you traded right, and the Angels and 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 the Ogo and Jeter Downs for right, and then the Otani situation where like the Angels, you're moving Otani because you guys fell flat on your faces again. That stings. Juan Soto won a World Series in Washington. He probably wasn't going to stay. You know what I mean? Like they. I'm That's not a torch, two different boats. I'm not going to torch the Angels because I do think that they – I mean, they called Zach Nito up in 211 oh, days after after he was – he had been drafted because they do, for lack of a better term, they do try to win. I don't know if they're the most – they don't have the best decision makers, but I know we've talked about this before. They try to win, and there's something to be said for that because – people give so much flack to the angels for whatever reason, because they can't build a team with trout and Otani, which is a problem in itself. But like, it's not like they'd sit there and manipulate service time or, or don't. No, but if you, if you have to sit there and pick up the phone as the angels GM this, this summer, you're in a different situation than a team who's in a rebuild trading their best player. I think the real question would be, do you try to trade Trout then? But that's a conversation for another day. Because what's the point of just having him collect dust in Southern I, California? It's a no very good question. And again, uh, so, if you're picking up the phone to do that, you're probably in a worse situation than a GM who's on a, who, who's the GM of a rebuilding team who's trading their best player. Because yeah. you did have those expectations going into the year. So – and. Yes, definitely. So another team who's who's been kind of the opposite of the Padres is a team that's kind of almost overperformed expectations. It's a team that I would say definitely we can again. I like fluffing ourselves. Uh, we were definitely high on them to start the year. Um, the Texas Rangers they won their first series in Houston in five years. It's crazy to think about, but it's very impressive because this team just seems to have something going well for them. Obviously, Bruce Bochy is just, I mean, he is just calm as calm can be. You know, he's going to make great decisions. You know, guys love playing for him. You know that it's going to be a good clubhouse chemistry that he's going to be going to have. And quite frankly, odd year, Marcus Simeon is striking again. We're talking about a guy who's hitting 301, 350, 521 with four home runs. We've seen this throughout Marcus Simeon's career when it goes good. It goes really, really, really good. 
So what are some things that kind of stand out to you so far from the Texas Rangers that, you know, makes you whether a believer or at least see some positives that they can build off of? We were first and foremost, we were all over Marcus Simeon odd year. Um, we were all over that. Uh, and, and it's for whatever reason, that's just the way it's worked out in his career. I don't know why, but he looks great. Um, the, the thing that we thought could hold them back is what's looking like could hold them back. Right. Cause again, we're looking at a three week sample of them playing well, but if DeGrom can see like, this is two starts now DeGrom's left early. He had side tightness, and I think he came out of his second start early, and then this past one he has a forearm or wrist. What was it? Wrist. 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 Yeah. Like that's like – God, like I don't know if they're treating him with kid gloves because I'm not in the decision-maker room. Sure, but I don't know what the – what if these are legit issues or if they're treating him with kid gloves. I don't know. I can't tell you the answer to that. That's a little concerning. Seager being hurt stinks because we're also all over Seager having a huge year, and it looked like he was – playing at an MVP caliber form before, you know, getting hurt. And and I don't think he is that he's going to be out that he's going to be out for too long. The rest of the rotation has healthy so far. And we talked about it. If they can stay healthy, this is a good rotation of all these stuff looks absolutely. It's really good. I've been a big fan of his for a couple of years now. I think he's got um, kind of overwhelming stuff for guys. And he throws the kitchen sink at you. Uh, Martin Perez, like, Sliding Perez into the middle of your rotation. You want to talk about paying big bucks for a guy, yeah. right on the free agent market? They got him qualifying offer price, and like he's better than a mid rotation guy, or at least a lot of what those mid rotation free agent guys are getting. He's really he's a really good pitcher, and he does it in a way that not a lot of guys can do. And he's just an, a master of keeping guys off balance. And so, what does that lead to? Again, he's not going to be top of the rotation caliber because I don't think he's going to overwhelm you. I don't think you know he. He's not going to be consistently dominant for 33 starts, but he's going to put together really good, you know, three out of four. And the next thing you know, you're like, wow, he's had a really good last three months. Yeah. Um, and and then again, like Heaney, who I know, I think he he got lit up one of these starts, right? Game but, one, yeah, first start, it was bad. But he's been, but he's been pretty good otherwise. And and again, you're talking about Andrew Heaney being in the back part of your rotation. I'm good with that. Like I'm good with that. And and especially John Gray too, who's always had this stuff. Like it's never been a question of stuff with Gray. So um, I'm kind of believing in the fact that the roster is just playing up to their potential, and like that's what you want to see when you put to start to put together. You know, you're, they're getting ready to be in their compete window and go for it. And yeah. what do you want to see? You want to see your guys play to their potential, and they are right now. Yeah, I I don't think there's a single guy on that roster that you'd be like, I'm surprised they're playing that well. Josh Jung, he's hit at every level. Okay, he comes up to the big leagues and he hits. Marcus Simeon, we've seen him compete for MVPs. Corey Seager is one of the best players in baseball. Jacob Degrom is the best pitcher on on in baseball as long as he can get on that dirt hill. Right, Nathan Eovaldi's always had the stuff, but he's always gotten barreled. That's okay. Like you don't have to be the ace of our staff. John Gray, you blink your eye every year, and he's got a three seven with a ton of punch outs. Like he's a guy that has been, you know, quite frankly, really solid throughout his career. He had a tough, tough hand of pitching in Colorado, you know. And then Andrew Heaney is a guy who last year pitched like a two in the Dodgers uniform, right? And if you can rekindle that fire there's no reason then you talk about nathaniel Lowe, adolis garcia adolis garcia is hitting 170 but he's got four homers it's like 
Well, when Adolis Garcia isn't your superstar, he's just right, a guy. Like you ago. take 170 with a ton of power any day of the week, and he plays yeah, and every day because, because you have Josh Jung who's hitting around 300, Corey Seager who's hitting around 360 right well, before he got hurt. He was just getting hot. Uh, Marcus Simeon's hitting 301 in his in, with four home runs. So why do you need Adolis Garcia to do anything but drive those guys in? So you're starting to see the form of a lineup that can compete in the West. Are they better than the Astros? No, probably not. I mean, the Astros are having to really tap into their depth. Somebody pointed this out that I heard this morning was like, the Astros really have never had to tap into their depth. They are very injury lucky, I guess is the best way to say it. Or it's only, it's usually only like one or two guys. It's never been like a wealth of guys that go down. Like we've seen with like the Yankees, right? You look at the Yankees lineup right now, it looks a lot different than what it's going to look like in October. So they're not better than a fully healthy Houston Astros. But right now, like, are the Mariners and the Rangers on the same playing field? I think talent-wise, Mariners are probably better in name value. But, man, I look across this roster, and it's a lot of good. It's a lot of really, really good. And it, it excites me to think that this team could be for real because I think they've committed to it. Getting DeGrom was awesome move. Whether he pitches 190 innings or – 86 and then is healthy come October. It was a good move. You really put your chips in, right? You got a guy in Corey Seager who I love. Marcus Simeon's not exact. He's the high highs and the low lows, but he's definitely a good baseball player. And you got some good players on the farm. If you want to talk down your concern on DeGrom too, it's been a a bleak and a wrist. It hasn't been a shoulder. It hasn't been a form. It hasn't been a bicep. It hasn't been an elbow, right? Like it's been things. And when you've seen him pitch, and let's be, let's be completely frank, opening day was like some of the worst batted ball luck you could have, right, when the Phillies kind of got to him. It wasn't like there was just – outside of Alec Baum, really, it wasn't a ton of barrels. It was a lot of balls shot down the line and, and through some holes. And, like, it's been electric. It's been Jacob DeGrom. So He's any concerns you had coming into the year – right, like with any issues you had coming into the year of, like, you know, he didn't pitch that much. Is he Is he damaged goods? Is he – Gonna look like Degrom? No, he looks like Degrom. <laughs> like when he's out there, it is as good as it always has been. So, I mean, that's huge. And like to your point, exactly. So even if he throws eighty six, fine. If he's healthy in October, I think he's probably gonna he'll turn it around. I think I I just I, I think because it's what I'm wishing for. Like I want him to be fully healthy. So that's what I'm gonna go ahead and believe is gonna happen. And to your point, they're being opportunistic, right? The Astros have never had to tap deep into the depths, right? They've never been completely banged up like they are now, and that the Rangers are doing exactly what you should do if you're trying to chase down a team that may be a little ahead of you. And with the question marks that we've seen now that this Mariners, we've seen this Mariners roster play, and again, it's three weeks. Like, yeah, right. Flip a coin. Flip it. Like, why can't the Rangers be better than the Mariners? I'd really like them too. And I'll tell you what, man, Nathaniel Lowe and and, and Josh Jung, like. I'm buying stock and you pair those guys with Seager and Simeon. And like, you're talking about four guys that you can have in your lineup for the foreseeable future that are legit, legit big leaguers. You got two all-stars, one borderline MVP, and you got two guys who could potentially be all-star level players. Yeah. Like you watch Nathaniel Lowe and you watch Josh Jung and and like, whew. Yeah, and I think the last the last thing I'll mention about Texas that really excites me is we saw this with Seattle last year a little bit, right? 
you you win a lot of close games. You have a little bit of luck on your side. This is a team that right now is second in run differential. And it's not like they've had a walk in the park. They played the Phillies to open up the year. They've gone to Houston. They've had some tough series. They have a 40, plus 43 run differential, which is in front of the Chicago Cubs, who we were probably wrong on up to this point. But um, we saw a path, at least I could say. Um, but you know, you're talking about a team that in terms of run differential is, is right there at the top of the league. Um, I mean, the fact that Tampa Bay has a plus 83 run differential already. Oh, disgusting. The, the leader last year was they have four, um, 331 for the Dodgers. Ooh. Right. But the, the Rays have four. We're, we're turning into a Rays podcast, and I'm completely okay with that. The it's Rays fine. have four shutouts by eight or more runs this year. They've won it by eight or more runs, shutting teams out. That doesn't happen every day in Major League Baseball. And again, no. I think all four might have come against the Tigers and the Reds. You can say what you want, but look, doesn't matter. Those are still Major League teams, and to be beating teams 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, nothing, they're yeah. really good. Anyway, but last thing I will say about the Rangers, too, is one of the question marks I had going in, just like with every every team's question mark is the bullpen. I'll just go ahead and say it. You didn't know what that – like, right, the bullpen was eh. – what I failed to realize, and this is where managers should get credit, I think Bruce Bochy does a really good job of, of, of managing a bullpen, which I think is probably like the biggest thing a manager has to do in baseball is managing your bullpen and understanding, okay, when are guys up, when's a good spot for them. And I, Bochy's always done a tremendous job at that, and I think that has given that, that bullpen a little bit of a boost. And I will say not to take anything away from what Bochy's able to do. That's a, that's a talented bullpen. For sure. Like Dane sure. Dunning has good stuff. You have Jose Leclerc, Will Smith. Like there are some guys out there that have like really, really good stuff. So it's kind of a it's a combination of you know two really positive things. And and a guy that knows how to deploy those arms when that when that gate swings open, you know he's he's bringing out a guy who's going to come out and compete. But you messed up my segue when we were talking about the Rays run differential. I apologize. I, I also would like to if I would just like point of order. I would I I know you were making an overarching point there, but Will Smith, hey. <laughs> well, trust me, I don't like Will Smith because he, he him and Juan Soto go way back, and Juan Soto still just takes him deep, and he still thinks he's like big man, but, uh, as he so should. I'm not, I'm not a fan of 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 Will Smith either, but he's a big league arm that's had success in the big leagues for for a decent amount. Of he time. has no, but, he has um, you're right. But speaking of leading off for the for the Rays and and they're leading the league in in run differential is Yandy Diaz. Obviously, we like to pride ourselves on the fact that we analyze Major League Baseball through a player development scope. And let's talk about Yandy Diaz, right? When he was traded from the Cleveland Indians at the time, I'm not botching it. It was actually the Indians at that point in time to the Rays. There was a lot of people that were like, "Oh, he hits the ball really hard, but he hits a lot of balls on the ground." It's like, okay, well, do we think the Rays can teach him how to hit the ball in the air? Well, of course, the Rays wanted to teach him how to hit the ball in the air. There's, that's not rocket science, but they're not going to overhaul a guy's swing just to kind of change something and, and allow him to be less athletic. His swing's kind of been the same for a while now. I mean, at least from last year to this year. But we've seen a huge uptick in his ability to just get balls in the air. Nothing has changed. Last year, he was... 90th percentile in everything, expected batting average, hard hit rate, max exit velocity, barrel, or actually not barrel percentage, but 
everything that was in terms of how hard do you put the ball in play? Yanni Diaz was John Carlo level. I'm putting barrels on baseball, but his barrel percentage was not. Well, this year, his launch angles up from seven points in average of 7.7 degrees to 14.3. We've seen a direct swing with that. He has six home runs already, and he has hit nine total last year. So, Dan, so far, obviously, there's a lot of you know stuff to unpack with Yanni Diaz, but what have you seen that's been so impressive? Can I, can I flip this back on you real quick? Yes, of course. What 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 do you credit? So, you know, you talk about not overhauling a guy's swing to make that adjustment of hitting the ball in the air. What do you credit that adjustment being to? Yeah, so uh, you know, I used to think about this a lot because, you know, you you're going to get yourself in situations where you're going to have to work with hitters that all don't do it the same. Right. And over time I came to realize that I would prefer a hitter with a flat swing. Um, just because it's your margin for error is much smaller, right? At the very least, they're not going to strike out. Margin for error is larger. Yes. No, no, much smaller. With a guy with a flat swing, your margin for error in terms of developing them, like their floor is higher. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. So you can... You more can forgiving. do more. Yeah, exactly. It's more, it's, okay. Yeah, it's like it's like clubbing down, making sure you're getting it in play. It gives you an opportunity. And I always felt like if strength could come with a flat swing, it would be good. One of the things that Christian Yelich had talked about when he made the jump, right? Because Christian Yelich was a very downhill guy, you know, kind of similar a little bit to Yandy Diaz. I wouldn't say right. like not really a lot of lift. Similar, just yeah. not a lot of lift was just his ability to catch balls out in front. I can't explain this to our listeners because we're not in person, but when you think about a flat swing, the deeper you catch it on a flat plane, the more likely it is to be beaten to the ground because you got to work from point A to contact point. And if you're flat, you're going to be working downhill on that. But when you get out to contact point further out, get extension through the ball, you're able to lift that ball. You don't change anything. That's all you're changing is, hey, we need to be almost more just early. Just be way early. That was what right. Christian Yelich did. He was uncomfortably early. He felt like he was hitting balls at the halfway point, and it was just backspin to the pool side. And you know, I've seen it with a couple of Yandy Diaz's home runs because it'll be like a changeup that he'll just stay through, and that's what he gets to the pool side now that maybe last year he might have let get too deep, and he beats it into the ground to the shortstop just because, I mean, we're talking about fractions of inches, right, because the ball moves so much and and when you're talking about contact point your back can only be in the hitting zone for a certain amount of time but when you talk about guys that do like to let the ball get deep and do have a tendency to work on top of the ball being in the hitting zone longer and just catching balls out in front allows you to pull balls in the air specifically so i mean i looked at home runs specifically between this year and last year setup his swing is very flat I don't know. I know baseball savant has been tracking, you know, bat path and and things like that, attack angle. I'd love to know if there is any small changes, but from my eyes, it looks flat, flat as flat can be, and he just looks like he's catching it a little out in front. Well, that's the thing that I think that if there's anything, you know, from my non-hitting expertise background that I've noticed with him is is kind of. I guess without knowing it was him catching it out in front is that it's like you look at where he's hitting the ball more and Yandy Diaz, it always felt like when he would pull a ball, 
it was always on the ground through the hole, almost like he was spinning off. Right. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, he's pulling balls with authority. And of course, like naturally that's where most guys, you know, traditional powers for me, right? Like when guys jump ship, like it's going to be to the pool side a lot more. And it's because they catch it out in front. And like you said, even when you have a flat bat path, that makes sense. When you catch it out in front, you can then get it in the air because you're, that's where your swing's headed. And that's what it kind of just looks like to me. It's like, okay, that Yandy Diaz home run to straightaway left field that he just hit, especially in Cincinnati today, used to be like a base hit to left. Yep. And now it's like, so w- that's what the biggest difference is, is what it looks like. And he's always been, like you said, an elite hard hit guy, an elite like walk guy too, like a guy who controls his own and, and knows Doesn't what to go after. Out. No, he doesn't strike out. And like he's, he's weighted on bases 475. That's comical. This guy's yeah. expected weighted on bases 475, which is like comical. Like that is elite elite. Like you're talking about a guy like, and I don't know if I'm over my skis here, but like he's profiling like an MVP. No, I've thought about that a couple of times. I thought about like, that at the end of last year when I was doing some research on some guys and saw his, his batted ball profiles and was just like, Literally, the only difference between taking him from a you know an MVP caliber player and not was his ability to. I mean, his fly ball rate is up to thirty two percent from nineteen point six. His line drive rate is up to thirty percent from twenty four, and his ground ball rate was fifty percent last year. Right, right. Like we talk about the shift and everything, fifty percent. Like. The fact that you hit 290 is a miracle. That shows you're clobbering baseballs and they're skipping through the infield because now that's down to 32.7. And that's like, that's not like an overhauling mix. That is like literally a perfect mix. You combine the fly balls here and there that are hit hard, the line drives that are going to give you a lot of success, but you're not overhauling it to the point where you're popping balls up, where you're spinning balls or anything like that. And and it's really interesting to see because it, it, it has seemed just like such a simple change. And it's really, it's interesting kind of go back to your like kind of catching the ball out in front thing is it's very difficult because when you tell kids to hit the ball further out in front to adjust their contact point, you mentioned spinning off. That's what a lot of kids have a tendency. And they come out of their lower like, half. Oh, I right? gotta, yeah, I gotta go get it, and they they jump at it. Obviously, this dude's thirty years old. He's smarter than you know any of us. He's a professional athlete, his, right? Yeah, professional athlete. So it's a little bit easier for him to make these adjustments than just your average hitter across the world. But the ability to just be like, okay, I'm actually going to have a thought process. If there is a thought process, it could just be happening natural and it could have just clicked for him one day. But if there is a thought process that I'm going to attack this baseball just in that section a little bit out in front so I can pull it in the air, for him not to lose his front side, to not get jumpy, to not get pull happy with that, to just let it happen naturally, that's the most impressive thing. Because he's literally changed nothing. It's just like, oh, like now I'm just going to clobber these balls. And if, if, I mean, this is just more of an observation, but to like go back to a, a scouting before we had all this information type way, like Yanni Diaz is a guy you would say looks good in a uniform. You know, like, so it's been there. Like, right, you look like that's an imposing figure. Like Yanni Diaz fills out a uniform. So you knew it was like, right, it was like, how do we unlock this? Because it's there. And yeah, it's crazy because right now he's profiling like an MVP, which is, I mean, it dream scenario for the race this is what the Rays need like yandy diaz two they've two reaching his ceiling yes three yes three three arguably three. yeah but like imagine yeah i mean and it, it's it's really if you pay attention 
you kind of understand some of these things, it's not a surprise to see the, I mean, we've talked about this. It's not a surprise to see what they're doing, but I love Yandy Diaz and I'm so excited that, that he's, he's kind of, he's off to the start because um, he's fun to watch when he's doing this. And that team is fun to like turn on a raise game, you know, do it when they're on the road. Cause watching a game of the trop isn't that fun. Um, although they're drawn pretty well early on, I guess it's the wins help, but um they do. They're they're fun, man. Turn them on. They 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 because watching Yandy Diaz and then Wander Franco, it's like whew, that lineup, man. I I think people would show up too if they gave them a nice waterfront park. Oh, they, I, like why? That's so frustrating to me. And, and we don't have to talk about that right now. And, and we probably could have a whole other episode on other issues going on in baseball and and and, and the A's. Speaking, and yeah, I was going like, to say right, speaking of waterfront right, parks, like. like Put a waterfront park with a retractable roof. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to downtown St. Pete. I was there in December. It's the first time I'd ever seen the trop. What a dump. And you look at downtown St. Pete and you're like, I was like, I said to my wife, like, I would move here. Yeah. I would move to town. And then you're like, what is this ugly building? Like, you could build. And, and yeah, I'm sure people would show up. And I know the issues that all Miami or Florida baseball team, we don't have any fans because you know, in this area, they're all retirees, they're transplants, they're all Yankees fans from New York who have retired there. But like, I don't care. That place, would fill, I agree with you, that of, place will fill mm-hmm. up. If you built them a beautiful waterfront park with a retractable roof, that place would be full more nights than not. But I think that in the past, when Tampa, when the Tampa Bay Rays were started as an organization, I agree 100% that there weren't the snowbirds. That was all that was there, right. was snowbirds. Now there's kids in Tampa Bay. I mean, we see Division One athletes across all sports, football, baseball, basketball, come from the Tampa Bay area. Yeah. There's families that grew up in Tampa Bay, right? There's people that are – there's younger people like me and you that would be willing to move to Tampa Bay and start our families there. So, yes, in 2008, the fan right. base wasn't there. But who do you think those kids are rooting for? And this team's really good. You give them a stadium to show up to – like yeah, and to go watch Yandy Diaz, up. Wander Franco, and uh, Randy Arozarena, yeah, they're going to oh, show that up. Pitching staff too, and the pitching staff. Like, come on, I agree. Yeah, I, would. I, I think there's there's a lot of potential there for for an organization that you know, and, and Yankee fans complain enough about being Yankee fans. I'm sure they'd love to change their allegiance. I mean, and I'm that. shocked that <laughs> that's true. I'm shocked that the city hasn't. I don't know how it works all the way, but I'm shocked the city yeah. hasn't gone to them and be like, "Look how nice we've made this city." We'll help you tear this place down. I think and it's build, all and it build third, all fifth five. bank stadium. You know what I mean? Like, like please. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably a, di- a conversation for another day. But that is, I'm under the impression that's how all of these are. Is it should the be city? It's city working with the organization the- now. Where does that divide come from? I have no idea. I know Oakland's mayor today was just completely ragging on the the A's organization. Yeah, saying that they weren't negotiating in good faith, and whether I agree with that or not, find out that yeah, yeah, I'd be shocked to find out that. But I'd also be shocked to learn that politicians are lying through their teeth in front of a camera. Really. Known liar lies <laughs> front page news. <laughs> so, like, you're talking about a combination that is, you know, not, not very good. good. Owners and politicians, yeah. 
And like, obviously, we're not the ones who are fronting a billion dollar deal, but a waterfront stadium, especially the pretty one that the Oakland had planned to do, like, that has to be a win-win for the economy because businesses are going to want to go to the stadium because it's a guarantee for traffic 82 times or 81 times a year, right? Like, you know, somebody's going to be there 81 times a year. And it's the way they had it built was less stadium seating and more comfort seating, more berm, more enjoy the weather, more of that on the water. It's like you look at the, you look at the, the images that they had for the plans of that stadium. It looks sweet. You could sit up on the roof. Like you could walk up the roof and camp out on like the roof of the stadium. And the stadium was built in like a bowl. Like they did a really good job with those plans, but the funding wasn't there. And for so, whatever reason, just some quick research here, because I remember this being a story when the Raiders built their Allegiant stadium in Vegas, it is a combination of the two coming together, right? It was a $1.4 billion stadium. 750 million was put up by the city of Las Vegas, which means the taxpayers essentially. And yeah. that's a, a one point with interest is a $1.3 billion debt that has to be paid back from the Raiders to the, the city. Yeah, over thirty years is my understanding. Yeah, of what yeah. I just read. It's, if anyone knows, reach out to us and explain it to us. Teach us because it's interesting. Because yeah, if if we can, real quick, just the A's thing, like you said, like they're gonna up and leave to Vegas and like what happened there because allegedly it's not allegedly it's right. Just, it's not sense, but apparently yeah. they've gone into a negotiation to buy land in Vegas and build it. And and my thing is is like someone put out. A, it's weird because this keeps happening to Oakland. So your point of the, the Oakland said, mayor yeah. lying through his teeth, right? Like, you know what I mean? Because the Warriors yeah. move across the bridge into San Fran. Yeah. And so it, it's funny how this keeps happening here. But I I don't know. I, I, I The only thing I'm happy about is that the Oakland Coliseum will be RIP. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think from the side of it of, you know, the – the common denominator here is we have not seen any professional sports teams move at least in our lifetime. This is two now. This would be the third. Yeah. The Rams, the Rams left St. Louis for Los Angeles. So like the big ones. Yeah. Okay. So this would be the third and two of them came from Oakland. Right. So what is the common denominator here? The fans are there. I think so. Oh, the I, video I that someone posted from yeah, I think it was thirteen Grant, Grant Balfour. Yeah, <sighs> coming out to some Metallica. Yeah, they're there. Like, fans are there. Yeah, they're there. And baseball's a fair like this is what people will never understand. Baseball's a fair weather sport. There's two yeah, things there's that are eighty one games. Yeah, it's too long, and if you're not good, I'm not going to spend my money to come there. Correct. Which is why the new age stadiums are such a good idea because and smaller yeah. it, it is they're smaller. They are basically villages built around right. the stadium. Like you said it's about Truist. Like, yep. Yeah, like Truist. Like there's restaurants, there's shops. It's like a big mall. So if you're if I'm fronting the bill for my wife and two kids to come to the game, it's not just like, hey, let's go spend forty six dollars on hot dogs alone for the four of us plus our $40 a ticket for a Tuesday night. And that's a generous $40 a ticket, you know, and then 
It's like, hey, honey, why don't you come to the game? You and our daughter can go shop while we're in the stadium, and me and him will take our save our money. We'll grab dinner before, then we'll head in the stadium. We won't even have to buy food in there, and me and the boy will watch the game. We'll meet at the car at the end of the day, and we're good to go. And when I, I think, think that's a big difference. What's a fascinating side of this too, and and I don't want to get too long winded on this topic, but. You look at Vegas, too, and, and the two teams that have moved, right? you got the expansion hockey team out there. Oh, I also forgot about the Seattle Supersonics moved to Oklahoma City in our lifetime. That's true. Um, but the um, the Golden Knights and the Raiders have been huge successes in Vegas. And so I get a little bit of it. I guess that would be part side from the ace standpoint is that, like, Vegas is, from all intents and purposes, Vegas looks like they're going to – welcome any sports team that they get with open arms because they have so far with hockey and football we'll see how baseball plays um but yeah it's interesting i i don't know it's weird it, it's think, been a, it's been a bad situation and you could feel it brewing and, and like i don't know what i was looking for in the outcome to be i wasn't surprised i know that yeah i think that vegas because a lot of the people were complaining that they live and die off a tourist for these sporting events I think Vegas has an underrated suburbs. Like it is it, it is a place that people move to. Like there, could, it might not be your New York right. cities of the world that are like filled with jobs necessarily, but there are a lot of people that live in the suburbs of Las Vegas. You could sell me on uh eight NFL games being driven a lot by tourists. But you can't sell me on the fact that the Golden Knights are, are – that place is packed 41 times a year. You can't sell me yeah, on well, tours on that. 41 times. You know what I – would you agree? Like I'm with you. Like yeah, I oh, think definitely. there's a lot more local – there's a lot more local in the suburbs I think are a lot bigger. I think people would be surprised to know the uh, population of a of, of place yeah, like and just build a new modern stadium. Don't put 40,000 seats. Put freaking no. 25,000 seats thir- in there. I think what I saw today was 35,000. 30, I would do 30. I think 30 is the number. Yeah. Don't even try to make that. Like, there's nothing worse than looking around the stadium. Like, even in Cincinnati right now, you're like, and that's a freaking fan base that shows up. Yeah. They're they're a little bit fed up. Yeah. Their owner threatened to move the team. So they're definitely fed up. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. That's just now that's just going to be the flex of every owner. But, like, I don't know. Fans don't, like, I know a lot of Oakland fans are obviously disappointed, and I get that. But nobody goes to the games. So, yeah, and I get that yeah. a little bit too. I, 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 and this is where I don't know where I come down on this. And yeah, I know that's bad podcasting. I'm supposed to pick a side and stick to it. But like, dude, baseball fans aren't that hard to please. Act like you give a crap yeah. about your roster. Put some money into it. Put some money into the stadium. Put some money into the roster, and baseball fans do show up for the most part. Yes, it's fair weather. It's fair weather. Late in the year, like, no, if you have enough early, if you yeah. have an right, if you have enough name value, well, summer, right? Like the biggest thing for baseball yeah. is like, sure, every team, unless you're in the thick of it in September, like when school's in session, that's when you draw the least, right? Like a Tuesday night in April, kids got home yeah. from school, parents, you know, no, yeah, but in the summer, that like if you put names out there and you have strong name value. And you act like you care and you're trying to at least compete, baseball fans show up. I truly yeah. believe that. I do. I think I think the only thing I would say in the opposite of that is they had Matt Chapman, they had Matt Olson, they did, they had Sean Murphy, they and had they Frankie showed up Montas. a little when they, they were had, in the like in twenty. The last time they were in the playoffs, they showed yeah. up. 
<clears throat> they did. 18, they did definitely. 17, Some, 18. Sometime then. I, they definitely did, and they definitely do show up. I just think that, like, I, I don't know. And and the pro- the other problem with Northern California is the fact that the best time of year weather-wise is the fall. Like, the summer isn't even that nice for them. <laughs> like, it's but like it, one of those backwards areas where I know, like, in San Fran, like, September, October is the best time to live in San Fran. Like, and again, I don't know whose fault this is, but I also think it would have helped that if they had built a brand new stadium in Oakland, I think more people would have. I think it would have been a great idea. Yeah, I think that's where I I think the biggest issue was Oakland Coliseum was a dump, like the drop, and it needed to be. Yeah, and you had to do something. And like, I get the hatred for, like, owners are always going to be vilified, and I completely understand that. Correct. In every situation. And I completely understand it because they are the the rich people and it's like, but it's a lot easier for us. Like when you're looking at the books of the Oakland A's, it's a lot easier for us to say front the bill for a a $1.3 billion stadium in Oakland when the the owner's going, well, nobody shows up. And it's not the richest city in the, right. And again, like I'm, I'm so squarely on, I don't know, like. I, I, don't I don't know, know who to point at. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, is it the city? Because even like building the stadium, is it the city's? Did the city say no? You have to front the entire bill. And to your point, if I'm the owner of the A's and the city says I'm not like in Vegas, right? I just said they seven hundred fifty million dollars came from the taxpayers. If the city of Oakland was like, we're not doing that, you front the bill. Then sure, if I'm the A's, I probably am like looking elsewhere too. Looking if for I'm a good business that would help, yeah. right? And Vegas clearly is because Vegas, what Vegas does have is tons of money because you want to talk about tourism, the, yep. the money that tourism drop brings in in Vegas, they do have the money to help front the bill. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I no. don't know if there's anyone to blame. I think, I think the city from the article I read when the talks fell under in January, because that was when like the talks really hit right. like a this was becoming more of a reality. It seemed like the city came in low. That was what I understood from the article. Um, and they said they couldn't, the main reason was in the economy right now, they can't come together with money. And it's like, I get, I get that. It. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, For I sure. I can understand that, but like sometimes. And you also understand it, the other side of the A's being like, okay, we're, we're, we're well, out if Vegas, Yeah, if Vegas wants to throw more money at us, then I got to do what's best for my organization. And we think we could build a, a contender there that's focused around, you know, people showing up, act, like people actually showing up. Like, Did you see any like, timelines floated? It's going to, I think it's going to be like, cause they're, just in the preliminary stages. Yeah. Like I would be surprised if they're out of Oakland by 2026, 2027. Like I would be Cause my next thing they're... was don't move a team to a new city with that roster. Yeah. And I think that's what, when going back to the golden Knights thing is like the NHL also intentionally allows. What a um, great job. Yeah. They do their expansion, expansion program. Well, it it kind of sucks for like all the, for other, the other teams, teams but, but it's a but great model. Because whole model is based around the fact that like we can't put a new team in a new in a new area and not allow them to win and have them be awful yeah they're awful okay like that's not smart so the golden knights and trust me the management of the golden knights did a phenomenal job 
I mean, the guys that we talk about on the Golden Knights as like really good hockey players weren't exactly well known, really good hockey players. Right. They had a couple guys like they grabbed Phil Kessel. Like, yeah, they grabbed some guys with some transitioning into a hockey podcast. Yeah, but, I'm, like, I'm over my way. skis for real now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. But I'm just saying, in general, like they did a good job identifying talent. And Seattle Kraken this year did. They're in the playoffs too. So yeah. obviously, there's some there's a common denominator there, but. It's very important to have a winner when you enter into a new town because people will show up for a team right. that wins. Winning drives attendance, but you know, I think I think the ultimate point too is like sometimes you got to spend money to make like to help your economy. Like that's like the weirdest thing in like economics is like the idea that like you have to put money into so like something like adding a stadium that's really nice like the plans they had for the city of Oakland could drive businesses and increase jobs and do, like you know what I'm saying like that's where it's like again I'm not I'm not privy to what the conversation You're not in the were, right? but like yeah. yeah exactly and I'm far from it like and but there is some side of it where like I'm sure Oakland's like, well, it's going to create, I know on the website that Oakland put out, so it was built by Oakland. It was going to create jobs. It was going to be all union built in the area. Like all of those things sounded pretty good, <laughs> you know, from, from the standpoint, but obviously it's, it's, it's sleazeballs negotiating with sleazeballs probably. So you can't trust anything that you read on it. But that'll be the last the last thing that we we talk about here. You got any closing thoughts today? Do you want to do a quick fifteen seconds on everyone's uh, like legitimately time each other and see how quick we can get out on everybody's favorite subject that people are going to want to hear about? Shirts are getting tossed. Yeah, you sure. Want to do like a five word. Yeah, go go three two one go. The MLB, the MLB is stupid. How has no one from the MLB made a statement since you had Herman get, let keep him going and Scherzer get thrown out? The ten game suspension is a joke. The ten game suspension is what pisses me off the most, but there's nothing they can do about it because the guidelines say that that's how you have to handle it. Like there's no like if you get ejected, you have a ten game suspension. Like they go hand in hand together. Um, Phil Cuzzy's the only umpire that's ever ejected anybody from it. That's kind of sketchy, but that's it. All right. I don't well, I don't want to talk about any more of it either. No. <laughs> I guess we should have waited because we were kind of a, a week a week and a half or a half. Like a an episode ahead. early, yeah. So uh but until next time, uh make sure you're liking, subscribing, and sharing. Five star reviews on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Um Make sure you're following on all social channels. Uh, really helps us grow the brand, grow the podcast. We enjoy doing this. Like we said, we think we think we do a decent job um, of, of producing content and, and providing baseball information. So uh, the more you share, the better it helps us. And, and obviously, making sure you're you're looking into our partners. If you're heading out to Phillies game, any playoff hockey, any playoff basketball, anything that you're interested in, go to SeatGeek. $20 off your first purchase with promo code backside ground ball. And then also better help. If anybody needs any therapy needs, 100% online can text video chat and call your therapist. That is at betterhelp.com, better H E L P.com slash backside ground balls. Check those things out, making sure you're supporting the podcast. And until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. 
And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.